We are thankful again that you've joined us on what is a gorgeous uh, spring day, or at least was when I got here. Um, Hopefully it still is. Um, We're glad you're with us at home and thankful for you. Uh, Start off with a question. When was the last time you said or thought, wow? Not not a disgusted wow like when um, maybe you changed that diaper and it was a little more than you bargained for and you were like, Wow. Um, not, not a weird wow, like you see something that seems off and you're like, hmm, wow. But when was the last time you said, wow, like born out of amazement, uh, born out of awe, born out of wonder? When did you last say or think, wow? Was it maybe it's something in nature? Just by a show of hands, how many of you like a beautiful sunrise or sunset? Have you ever said wow at one of those as you look out at the horizon and you just see those different hues of yellow and orange and pink and purple? Like, like how does God do that? You just said, wow. Maybe it was a beautiful mountain view. You were at a cabin somewhere and you were looking out and you just saw this grandeur of the, the peaks and the valleys. And you said, wow. Or maybe you were down in the valley looking up at the mountain and you said, wow. Or, or maybe it was a beach. Maybe you're more of a beach person. And so you, you were there sitting on the beach, toes in the sand and, and looking out and you just see these waves rolling in and you hear the gulls around you and You just think, wow, or maybe you see that little ghost crab scurry across the surface and it just captivates you. Or maybe you're more of a farm boy or farm girl and so there's just something about the spring and you see those fields freshly turned over and the soil is rich and and maybe here in a few weeks as the the rains give way to those plants germinating and and growing, you see these little sprigs and sprouts of green. Uh, Maybe that causes you to look out and just say, wow. Or maybe it's not nature, maybe it's children. Children have a way of making us say, wow, both for good and for bad, but let's focus on the good. Um, Maybe it's that time you held that child, that niece, that nephew, that son, the daughter, the granddaughter, the sibling, and you just looked at them and you're like, wow. I I mean, I think any parent, uh, if, if you've birthed your child, you probably look at them and you're like, wow, like something good can come from us, right? If you adopted that child, then you look at it and you're like, wow, something beautiful that God made. And wow, God, you've entrusted us with that responsibility. Or maybe you see your child do something that's just incredible. You, you watch them at their first t-ball game and you've watched them all spring running to the wrong base and maybe swinging backwards. And then suddenly they actually make contact with the ball and it dribbles a few feet in front of the plate. And you're like, wow, like that's my kid. Like when was the last time you said, Wow. Maybe it's your favorite YouTuber. Maybe they've done some incredible feat. Maybe you, you like uh, Mark Rober and you saw his big elephant toothpaste thing and it just blows up and rockets into the sky 60, 70 feet and you're like, wow. Or, or, or maybe you, you like the, the guy doing the extreme sports and you're like, wow, how do they do that? Like they, they'll jump from that or they'll ride down that or they'll, they'll swim across that. And you're like, wow. Or maybe you're an athlete and you, and you look at something and it captivates you. You see this impressive golf shot a golfer that can drive the ball 400 yards. You're like, what? Wow. Or or maybe you watch your child and they hit the ball so well or they threw the ball so hard or or maybe you've got a teammate and you're, you're wowed by their speed or their endurance. When was the last time you said, wow? Or, Or maybe it's something beautiful. Maybe it was a piece of art. 
maybe it was a car. Uh, maybe you saw an exotic car driving down the road and you thought, whew, wow, that's incredible. Or maybe you saw one of your favorite human beings and you thought, man, they're gorgeous, they're beautiful. Wow. When was the last time you said wow? Do you understand that our wow, every instance of our proclaiming wow is an invitation to worship? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying every time you say wow, you're inevitably worshiping, that's what you're saying wow about. But I'm saying that when we say wow, what provokes and what entices the wonder and the awe in us is, is the same thing that if it grows strong enough will lead us to submit our life in pursuit of that or to buy that or to, to get that. And, and so what do you say wow about? What makes you just be overwhelmed with a sense of awe? Wow. Do you know that worship is service? Ultimately, worship is when we choose to give our life to something, to expend our life for something because we feel like it has that value and that worth. And what we are most wowed by will be what we worship. Another way to say it is our greatest wow will determine our way. What you wow the most about will determine how you live your life. If you're a disciple of Jesus, we have the opportunity to be most wowed by God. And if we're most wowed by God, it dictates our life and determines our steps. And if we're most wowed by God, what we begin to see is that all these, what we might even say are lesser wows, well, that seems a little harsh, they actually find their place underneath the great wow. You look at that child who's beautiful, and yes, you're wowed, and yes, you'll leverage so much of your life and your energy and your resources and your emotions for that child, but you also can look beyond and say, listen, this child is fearfully and wonderfully made. It's been knit together in his or her mother's womb. They're, 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 they're important to the father. You can look at that, that athlete who's doing incredible things and you can say, wow, but you ultimately know that God's the one who gives the abilities and the strength and the stamina. You can look to the beautiful art and be reminded of the creator who paints incredible landscapes across the earth all the time, like those sunrises and those sunsets. So when was the last time you said, wow? And, and maybe a second question, when was the last time you were wowed by God? Are you wowed by God? Do, do, do you see as you learn about God and as you experience him on a daily basis, moment by moment, are there moments you're like, wow, God? Well, what if your life, your choices, your decisions uh, the things you did and the places you went and how you spent your money were shaped by God being your greatest wow. What would change for you? If you're not a disciple of Jesus, what I hope that you'll um, learn this morning is that you'll come to see a greater picture of who God is. That as we immerse ourselves in the words of Psalm 145, as we dive into those deep waters, that, that you will just have something that at least tantalizes and piques your interest about this God we're talking about, maybe to the point that you wanna inquire of someone else about who he is. But if you're someone who says, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I hope that you will just be drawn to see that, that God is your greatest wow, that you will, you will choose to pursue him and, and live for him and be overwhelmed by him and, and order your life and every other wow beneath him. So if you have Bibles, find Psalm 145. 
find it in uh, a physical copy like I have or a digital copy. We're going to linger in 145 all, all of the message time. All of the Psalms are beautiful in a way. Some express the despair of human emotion, like the despair we go through as humans, the difficult emotions of life. Some experience, uh, express incredible joy. But some Psalms just stand out to me and they mean more, and this is one of them. Psalm 145 is beautiful, not only in content, uh, but in structure. Psalm 145, similar to Psalm 119, follows the form of an acrostic. That means that every line begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in this case, and they're in succession. And so each next letter of the Hebrew alphabet begins the next line, and it's as though David is writing. This is the last of David's psalms that we know of, but it's as though David is saying, listen, from beginning to end, from beginning of the alphabet to the end, God is incredible. And that should be impressed upon us. You're gonna see in this psalm that David grasps for words. Uh, if you've ever tried to describe God as a follower of Jesus to someone and the impact he's had on your life and the, the hope that he's brought you in difficult seasons and trials, you know sometimes it's hard to find the right words, right? Like how do I describe this? Like feeling like we're saying God's amazing or God's awesome or God's incredible. Those words just seem cheap and they fall short and, and you can see David grasping for those in Psalm 145. So what I'd like to do is something a little bit out of the normal for me. I'd like to just read all of Psalm 145. I know it's several verses, but I have a fundamental belief found in God's word that he can do more through his words than he can do through mine. And so I want you to be impressed and impacted by his words to you. And so if you have your Bibles, follow along. If you don't, find something to focus on. They won't be on the screen right now. And just hear the word of the Lord. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the, of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and they speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord, he's trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you and, and you give, the eyes of all who look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near, near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. 
The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Just pray and ask God to teach us through his word this morning. Father, David has done such an incredible job of crafting words that just raise our gaze to you and the greatness of who you are. God, will you impress upon us the wonder of who you are, the the impact of who you are, the measure and the magnitude of who you are, that we might be people who say, wow, and that shapes the rest of our lives. God, bring clarity to your word this morning in our hearts and our minds, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Did, Did you hear David in those words just grasping? first two verses, he uses the word extol, exalt, and praise. Like he's grasping, like, how do I even say I want to praise you, God? Like, like how do we even articulate that? He's just grabbing to, to figure out what it looks like to praise God. I didn't get to share this first service, but I feel compelled to, to, to share it with you here. Um, I told you it was beautiful because it's an acrostic, right? Uh, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet in succession. There's something else that's lost in our English versions, Uh, In the Hebrew language, they use a word to connote all, as in everything. Uh, The word we would say in English is kol. In in this psalm, that word occurs 17 times in 21 verses. And here's the rhetorical effect it would have in the Hebrew. The Lord is faithful in all he says and kind in all he does. He is good to all people and has compassion on all his creation. He helps all the fallen and all those bowed down under heavy loads. He satisfies the desires of all living creatures. He's close to all who call on him sincerely. He protects all who love him, but destroys all who do not call on him or love him. Because of this, all human beings will bless him and all his works will thank him. And this doesn't even count when David begins the psalm by saying, I will bless the Lord all the days of my life. It's a beautiful and powerful song to God that he is worthy of our praise, that he is deserving of our wow. And if he gets our greatest wow, that will shape our life. It's interesting as he tries to describe God's greatness, he begins with this in verse three, says his greatness no one can fathom. That's this picture that you you cannot quantify, uh, you cannot comprehend the greatness and the magnitude of God. And again, I said it earlier, we've been there as people. How do you describe who God has been to you, especially when he's carried you through dark and difficult seasons? No one can fathom. And then he goes on to describe the greatness by using a series of phrases, the, um, what we would say in uh, the Hebrew, it's called parallelism in their poems. And what happens is one phrase is said and it's restated in another way and restated again and restated again. And by building upon that, there's this impact. And what David does in verses four, five, and six is he builds on these phrases. In verse four, they tell of your mighty acts. In verse five, they meditate on your wonderful works. In verse six, They tell of the power of your awesome works. And again, in verse six, they proclaim your great deeds. He's just kind of stacking these for effect, saying, listen, God has done incredible, powerful, mighty, awesome, wonderful things. That's who he is. And so as he primes us 
he then delivers some of those mighty acts. Not, not exhaustively, but a sampling. And the first one he starts with is in verse eight. He says this of God. He says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Here's what I love about that statement when it comes to God. David is using a phrase, he's using a description of God's character that was common to his people. David doesn't, uh, he's not the originator. He's not the one who, 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 who authors these words for the first time. This description of God as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love is shared throughout the writings of the Old Testament that span hundreds of years, generation after generation. Moses uses it first in Exodus chapter 32, verse six, where he reminds the people that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Some versions say abounding in love. That's echoed again in his farewell sermon to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. It's echoed again in the Psalms. It's echoed again in the prophets. Uh, Think of the story of Jonah. That's one of those instances. Jonah, the prophet that was reluctant, did not want to go to Nineveh. He tries to run away. Giant fish swallows him, throws him up on land. He ends up going to Nineveh. That will kind of get your attention, right? He goes to Nineveh. He declares the judgment that's coming on them if they don't repent. The people repent, and Jonah has this woe is me moment. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want the people to repent. He wanted to see God's enemies perish. And so he has this moment when the people are repenting, and he says, God, this is why I didn't want to come. Because you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. You're rich in love. God, I knew this about you. I knew that you would show mercy and that you would show grace. Do you see how it's, it's, it's inscribed in the hearts of his people from Moses uh, through the time of Israel in the wilderness to the judges and the prophets? It's even there in the cleanup effort when they come back to Jerusalem, Nehemiah as they're restoring Jerusalem and the Levites lead them in prayer, the Levites voice this very thing in their prayer in the book of Nehemiah. God, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. That's who he is. The, 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 the biggest reason, the greatest thing about God is, that, is his character. He, he is gracious and compassionate. You can't change him. He's, he's slow to anger and abounding in love. That's why we all have the opportunity to receive grace upon grace from him. And what's amazing about what David says is that David says that on this side of the cross. David likely at this point doesn't even know what the Messiah is. He may have already heard at this point, although we don't know for sure, that there would be one that comes to rule on his throne forever. But he's still trying to figure out and flesh out what that promise from God means. The concept of the Messiah did not develop until the Old Testament prophets as they awaited one who was to come. And so he doesn't even know the idea that there's a Jesus who's coming And yet he can still say, God, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's who you are. How much more should we see the richness of God's love if we stand on this side of the cross? We see the fulfillment. What better expression of a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love than that God would come, zip on human flesh, expose himself and his son to everything and every trial that you and I face, and show us what it really looks like to live the very best human life possible, to give us that model, to give us that example, to give us that power inevitably when he rises again and grants the spirit to those who believe. Like what what, what better act of grace and compassion and, and being slow to anger and abounding in love than to be willing to die the death that we deserve as people because of our sins, conquer that so that we who believe don't have to perish eternally but can have eternal life. 
Well, what better way to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love than to rise from the grave and give all of us, everyone in this room, a hope that cannot be diminished by the problems and the pain of this world and something to hold on to for the future. That's who he is. And so above anything else, that's why he's deserving of our wow. And that's why we should shape everything by that wow and order everything beneath that wow. But he doesn't stop there. He talks about God's goodness. He talks about God's compassion, which we don't have time for, unfortunately. This one stuck out to me, verse 13. One of the reasons he's deserving of our greatest wow is that his kingdom is everlasting. Look at verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. When you slow down to think about it, this may be one of the greatest proofs that God is deserving of our worship. Through the history of the world, there is only one kingdom that has endured through all time. Only one kingdom. It's the kingdom that David writes about. It's the kingdom, by the way, that we're still reading about right now in this moment. Nations rise and nations fall. But whose kingdom stands forever? The account of God's people begins with a man named Abram who is in a place called Ur, home of the Chaldeans, an, an ancient people group. And yet the Chaldean Empire is no longer. The Egyptian Empire shows up on a lot of pages in the early parts of human history. And yet that's not the same as the country of Egypt today, which is a far cry, a distant shadow of the empire of Egypt. Nations rise and nations fall. The Edomites, the Moabites, the Sumerians, the Ammonites, guess what? No more. Nations rise and nations fall. The Assyrians come and the Babylonians and they give way to the Persians and the Persians give way to the Greeks and the Greeks give way to the Romans. And yet are any of those empires still standing? No. You have the Germanic tribes, you have the Ottoman Empire, you have the USSR, and yet are any of those still standing? No. And yet you look at the the news now and you see fighting in, in Myanmar and other places and we still see that nations rise and nations fall. But what is the one kingdom that has stood the test of time? The kingdom of God not bound by human borders, but one that's inscribed on human hearts and lived out through the actions of those who believe and it endures just as much today as it did when God first called Abram out of Ur. God deserves our greatest wow because his kingdom endures forever. And guess what? As scary as it is to wonder what on earth is going to happen with our nation in the next 50 years, next 100 years, next 200 years, you know whose kingdom will still be standing no matter what happens in the United States of America? God's kingdom. He deserves our greatest wow. And he doesn't stop there. Again, we don't have time. He, he talks about God's attentiveness, verse 14. He upholds all who fall, lifts up all who are bowed down. He, he speaks of God's provision, verses 15 and 16. You give them their food. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Verse 17, they speak of God's righteousness and his faithfulness. Verse 18, his nearness. Verse 20, his watch care. And the list just goes on and on. And what's David doing? He's trying to tell us, these are all the reasons why God gets my greatest wow. But he also wants God, to get our greatest wow. See how he ends his psalm? My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. It's not just about Jason. Jason, who, what on earth? It's not about, just about David. I have no idea where that came from. 
Jason should praise God too. So if your name's Jason, praise God. Um, it's not just about David praising God. It's about all of us uh, praising God. And why? Why is it so important to give God our greatest wow? Because you and I face the same battle that's faced humanity since the beginning. Our enemy, the devil, the adversary, Satan, is crafty and he's the master at making lesser things look like greater things and fighting for the attention and the affections of the human heart. Look back to the garden, Adam and Eve, living in what we would probably call paradise, the Garden of Eden, like tigers, lions, and they weren't even eating people, right? I mean, this is a great place to be. And yet, what does the enemy say? You know, there's this one tree, but did God really say you can't eat from that? Let's see if there's something else that'll give you a greater wow. And Adam and Eve succumb, and what happens? Mankind kind of spirals into sin, and those effects are on every human being since. And what plays out in generation after generation, we are people who quickly will give our greater wow to the pleasures and the things of this world rather than lifting our eyes to the one who gives the most and the best and the greatest. What are the first two commands? God's people leaving Egypt, they come to the mountain. God gives them the structure, these 10 things. Just shape your life around these and things will go well with you. What's the first one? Have no other gods before me, only be wowed by me. What's the second one? No idols, right? In case you missed the first one, how about you get the second one? And yet what do we see played out in human history? Ancient and modern, men and women choosing to try to put their hope and their, uh, their worth and, and their lives in the hands of pleasures and experiences and things. And the only alternative is to keep worshiping him, let him be our greatest wow. I, I, I could beat up idols of pleasure and things and stuff. Uh, you've probably heard messages on that stuff before. I'm convicted by those. But one of the things that we're wowed by in our modern age that we don't talk about a lot is we're wowed by the problems of the world. We're captivated by the idol of the troubles of our world. And what's sad to see right now is that many followers of Jesus in the United States of America are watching their news and they're reading their papers and they're reading their online news sources and they're, they're trolling their social media feeds and they're reading about all these things that aren't right. And what do they end up being most wowed by? What's wrong? What's not right? The dangers that look around the corners? What might happen in our nation? the latest act of violence and tragedy. And when we're most wowed by the trouble in this world, what ends up happening in our lives? We live with great fear and anxiety about what might happen instead of trusting in the one that knows the way through the valley of the shadow of death. Where's your greatest wow? Is it with him or is it on the things of this world, even the trials and the struggles and the troubles? How do you know where your wow is? Well, one test you can take is to Think about your life and uh, what dominates your conversations. And I'm not talking about in the workplace. Sure, you've got to talk about that product or that data. But, but when you're just having conversation, you get to choose what you speak about. What dominates those conversations? Do you speak of the goodness of God? Do you talk about what he's done and who he is and how he's stirring in your life? How do you expend your energy and your talents and your resources when you review your, your bank account online or if you still get the paper copies, what does it reveal about your priorities? 
It's a great way to see where your greatest wow is. One of the beauties of this psalm is not only does it challenge us to be people who give our greatest wow to God, but it shows us that as that happens, how we can influence someone else. Not only does our greatest wow determine our way and our worship, but our greatest wow can also influence someone else's. There's a theme that occurs in this psalm where it talks about us speaking and us telling and us commending so that other people can see the wonder and the greatness of God. Let me just show you a couple of those places. Verse four, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. That word generation can mean, um, you know, human generations. It's likely that they didn't think of generations like we do. They didn't have their Gen X and their Gen Z and their millennial. But it was, you know, groups of people, grandparents and parents and children. Similar, but not the same. Derek Kidner, who is an Old Testament historian, talks about how another way to understand generation could be to translate this one small circle commends your work to another small circle. And you think of your life and your circles of influence. One group of people, just your home, just your friends, as you talk about the greatness and the wonder and the magnitude of who God is can also influence other people to ponder that. If you live with God as your primary wow, you know what happens, people ask questions. Why did you choose to do this? Or what often ha happens is, why did you choose not to do that? Why did you not respond in that way? Why did you not go there? Why did you not get that? And you have a chance to show them it's because God is the one that dictates and, and determines my steps and my days. It's not just there, verses 10, 11, 12. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might. And to what end? so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. At Lebanon Christian Church, we wanna be disciples who make disciples. One of the greatest ways we can influence other people to follow Jesus is by showing them that he's the most important thing to us in word and deed, in our life and in our witness. I couldn't help but think as I was reading this this week and the word speak comes up multiple times of Peter and James in Acts chapter four. Uh, they'd healed a beggar earlier. Uh, they were imprisoned, actually, for talking too much about God. And so the religious leaders of that day who were against Jesus uh, called them in front of them and said, here's the deal. Uh, we, we can't do anything more to harm you because if we do that, people are going to probably turn on us. That would not be good for us. So how about we make a deal? You stop speaking about Jesus and we'll let you go free. And here's their response in Acts chapter four, verse 20. We can't help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the people that know you best, do they know that you can't help but speak about what you've seen and heard as it comes to King Jesus? Is he your greatest wow? What are you most wowed by? Do you wanna be most wowed by God? Do you wanna influence other people to be wowed by him? Maybe you're convicted and you're like, Craig, I don't, I don't know where to begin. Like, I, I want him to be my greatest wow, but man, I've lost sight of what I need to do and who I need to be. Well, let me encourage you with this. The Psalm gives us a couple of things and I'll add a few to it. Uh, it, it articulates and, and, and shares a couple of what we would call spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are these habits that we cultivate in our life to help us be faithful and follow God. Um, 
a couple of, of small illustrations to help you understand how spiritual disciplines work. One is for those of you that were born before 1995, okay? If you were born after 1995, I got something for you too. But for, for those of you that were born pre-1995, cars used to have these things called radios in them, okay? And, uh, and radios weren't for Sirius XM or to plug in and have, have, have Apple Play or, or CarPlay or whatever they call it or to have Spotify, Pandora, Sirius XM. Like, like they had radios, like real radios. Like you turn the dials. I know it's a crazy thing. And so when you were driving through a town and your radio started to go out, what would you do? You would adjust the dial and it would get it more crisp. Spiritual disciplines help us adjust the dial to stay in tune with how God is moving and how God is teaching, how God is speaking. For those of you that were born post-1995, think of a guitar. A guitar has its strings, and you play the guitar, and what happens over time? The guitar starts to go out of tune, and so you have to adjust and tune to bring it back in. And spiritual disciplines help us tune in to who God is and to what he's doing. There's a number of spiritual disciplines. Two of them are mentioned in these Psalms. One is singing, verse seven. To celebrate, and it says, and then to joyfully sing of your righteousness. There is something special about music. That is not a profound statement. All of us have been there. There's music that some of you resonate with. There's a lot of different tastes in music, but isn't it amazing how in a given moment, your mind can take you back to a song you heard years ago. I'm on a text thread with some guys in the church that I'm friends with and we tease each other a lot. And one of our friends uh, purchased something this week and one of our other friends was razzing him about it and he put the line in there, what is love? Why that occurred in the guy's text thread about purchasing something, I can't even begin to explain to you. But it said, what is love? But you know what the very next text was? It was a gif of, I think it's Chris Catan and Will Ferrell from that famous Saturday Night Live skit, what is love? Like, what on earth? Like, how do you go back to that vault? It's because music makes an impression and it inscribes something on us. It's why you can learn a a song as a child and in some obscure way remember it 30 years later. Like, whoa, where did that come from? God knows the power of music. And so when he encourages us to sing, we should take him at his word. You know what's powerful about singing praises to our God? is that even when we're in moments of difficulty and hardship, when we sing, oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful. When we sing, Christ be magnified. When we sing those words, something happens to us. And even if we're not sure we can get around those words at the time, they come back to us in other moments. How many of us can, in a moment when we're in trial, now sing the words of way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and it carries us through. That's the power of music. So let me ask this question. Why is it that in so many churches across our nation, men and women come together week after week after week and they stick their hands in their pockets and the music plays and we just sit there? Why aren't we singing? I know you've got excuses. You don't sound good. You don't know the words. That doesn't stop you in your car. How many of you sing the wrong words of songs? You don't even know what they are. What would happen if you sang to the Lord joyfully? What would happen as his words are written onto your heart and they carry you through? Another discipline he speaks of is meditation. Actually, the word picture with the word meditate is of a seed germinating. 
What happens when we spend so much time thinking and reflecting on the greatness of God? Something starts to grow inside of us and it springs up and it gives life to something else. What about the discipline of reading God's word? That's not here, but we obviously know it's in God's word to be reminded of the greatness of God. What about the discipline of Sabbath rest? Uh, Was it Psalm 46? Cease striving and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. What happens when we stop? So many of us, our lives are so filled with volume of activities that it muffles out the magnitude of our maker. What if you slowed down? What if you got outside and you took a walk and instead of throwing the AirPods or the earbuds in, you, you just listened to the birds or the sound of the rain or the dampening effects of the snow? What if you allowed yourself to stay transfixed on that rabbit that keeps coming to your yard and eating the grass and making a hole to see just how good God is? What if you took a sheet of paper out once a week and started listing all the things you were thankful for? Even better yet, kept a gratitude journal. What would happen? You would be amazed at seeing the greatness of God and he would become your greatest wow and shape everything else so that your life is lived in worship to him. That's what God calls us to as his people. May that be the story that he crafts and authors in you as you become someone who says your greatest wow to him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Again, as I think about David just fighting for the words, Father, even as we talk to you now, I'm fighting for the words. God, we, we believe you are incredible. We believe you're the almighty. We believe that you're, you're awesome in every way. And may you just impress that upon us so that we can say wow about you more than we say wow about anything else. And Father, anything in our world that grabs our attention or captivates us, may we find, it, find its place underneath you and your authority. And if it's not there, may it be discarded. And may we be men and women who, who worship you and surrender our life. We sing to you. We reflect upon you. And we're filled with hope and joy and strength. In your name we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.